I'm Kent Garrett. Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. We were born in the 1940s and are now pushing 80. In 1959, we entered Harvard as Negroes, but graduated as Blacks and African Americans. Our guest is Arshea Cooper. He is a rower, a Benjamin Franklin award-winning author, a Golden Oar recipient for his contributions to the sport of rowing, a motivational speaker, and an activist, particularly around issues of accessibility for low-income families. His book and new documentary is titled, A Most Beautiful Thing. It is narrated by Common, produced by Grant Hill and Dwayne Wade and Ninth Wonder, and it's from filmmaker Mary Mazio. It tells the story of a group of young men growing up on Chicago's West Side who formed the first all-black high school rowing team in the nation, and in doing so, not only transform a sport, but their lives. Here's sound from the documentary trailer. In the late 90s, the West Side of Chicago was not a good place to grow up. It was like a war zone. Some people asked what college you're gonna go to when you grow up. In that neighborhood, the big question was what gang you're gonna join. A kid got shot in front of Manly. Killed him dead right on the curb. It kind of makes you lose hope for your community. How do you break out of that? But a chance encounter changed everything. I walked inside the lunchroom and I see this boat. I didn't even know what Roar was. We don't even swim. You gonna take some West Side kids over to the lake? Nah, that's not gonna work. It brought guys from different neighborhoods, from rival gangs, together in one boat. When it's calm and you're out there, it take your mind away from any problems that you have. It brightened my life. There was something about the water that gave us peace, and we all needed that. Now, 20 years later, they're back on the water. What are we training for here? Chicago Sprints. We're trying to rewrite history here. Training starts today, our shape. Malcolm's doing this to show his son another way. Preston's going back in time to undo his mistakes. Alvin's racing to celebrate the fact he's still alive, that he's still here. Now you get an opportunity to inspire another generation. What are you gonna do with it? We on the mission now. It's gonna be a remarkable moment when they come together and get to that starting line again. Brothers encouraging brothers. That needs to spread like wildfire through our communities. What he's doing is a beautiful thing. When that flag comes down, there's only one truth, that they are still here. Manly! Go! All right, so why don't we uh, get started, and we'll start with Jerry. Why don't you introduce yourself to uh, Arshea and uh, let us know where you're from, et cetera, a little bit about your life. Well, Arshea, I'm in Pasadena, California, right outside of Los Angeles, and I did spend three and a half years rowing for Andover in high school. Uh, was too small to make the heavyweights at Harvard, so the coach laughed at me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was too heavy for the lightweights and too small for the heavyweights. Wow. Alden, how are you? I'm fine. I'm in San Mateo, California, which, as you know, just across from Oakland. So uh, uh, glad to have another rowing program around. I know almost nothing about rowing. Um, 
and uh, I grew up in uh, Northwestern Connecticut. All right, Mason. Uh, my only experience with rowing was uh, many, many years ago with my college roommate who was trying to make the team. And uh, both of us were in just sort of a basic rowboat on a lake and he was rowing his guts out and I was lying in the back drinking a beer. And, uh, <laughs> that's the way I prefer to row. <laughs> John. Uh, here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, yeah, I, I learned to row uh, singles, the wherries at, at Harvard. I used to like to do that for, uh, for uh, amusement and pleasure. And I even had one here for, our, uh, for a while on our river, on the Huron River here, competitively. I remember a guy once came who could row and he spotted me about 25 or 30 yards and then he caught me and passed me like I was standing still. <laughs> he was a competitive rower. <laughs> uh, Peter. Well, I'm up here in Northern New Hampshire and uh, everything I know about rowing, I'm gonna learn in the next hour. <laughs> but, but, but I do like to kayak around so. I have some basic notion of it. I'm I'm from Evanston, actually, so I know Chicago. Ken, good morning. Uh, I'm in uh, Los Altos, California, uh, south of San Francisco. Um, I grew up in Chicago on the south side. Uh, the uh, I have no connection with rowing other than my brother rode uh, his first year in college. Hi, uh, Nick Bancroft. Uh, grew up uh, south of Boston and now live uh, kind of west of Boston, but I found myself in Cape Cod and, uh, just having um, uh, Ida, the remnants of Ida pass over us, which was quite exciting around two o'clock this morning. Um, I, I did row at Harvard. I, uh, as a kid, I, I uh, grew up on the water and uh, I sort of grew up in a boat or out of a boat swimming. And uh, I was kind of competitive on both, I guess. And I got to Harvard, had the opportunity to row. And the rowing I do now is uh, on a river in, in my basement, I guess, in my mind, <laughs> and uh, on a machine. <clears throat> but that keeps me in shape and it keeps my heart pumping. <laughs> Great. George Allen, how are you? I'm okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you again. Good. All right, our guest is Arshay Cooper and tell us your story and it's an amazing story and tell us about the boat, the book and how you got into it. Yeah, so I, you know, I grew up on the west side of Chicago. Uh, you know, grew up, you know, I was born in 82. <laughs> um, and, you know, just growing up in the 90s, uh, coming to a young teenager, you know, everything was all about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan at that time. And uh, I grew up a uh, single parent mom um, who uh, soon became a drug addict. Um, you know, she's seen a lot of trauma just growing up in the South. And, you know, as she would say, she felt like she lost her parents to, to their trauma. And um, that wasn't around. You know, in, in our neighborhood, you know, you know, like I said in the trailer, like the, the big question growing up wasn't what high school you're going to go to or what college you're going to go to. It was more of what gang you're going to join, because if you could join a gang, then, you know, you're, you're protected. Um, or, you know, you don't have to worry about being a loner. Or if you go away, if you're a basketball player, football player and you at a away game or 
uh, somewhere at a party, you know, the gang will look out for your family. So that was the sacrifice that a lot of young people made at that time. My brothers did, so I didn't have to. Uh, but, you know, it was definitely one of those neighborhoods where, you know, you go to sleep, you hear gunshots when you sleep. You, you know, there were times you walk out of your door and you skip over pools of blood. And, uh, and I lost friends um, a lot in Chicago. So it's, it's, you see similar things that you, you hear about when the history teacher is talking about soldiers that fought in war, right? I'm like, wow, we almost seen the same things, right? And, and, and but I think that we had no one to talk to, right? When you experience it, it, math, when math, reading, all that stuff is out the door when you're hungry, when you don't have much and, and you're experiencing that kind of violence. And so I felt like I was very smart, but I was not a great student because my mind was just never in class. And, um, and at some point, in, you know, when I became 14 years old, my mother went to a recovery home and I lived with my grandmother. And, um, you know, at that moment, I didn't go visit her. I had a lot of anger. Uh, you know, everyone said turn to sports. And so I tried out for basketball, but I wasn't that great. And, you know, it was a trash talking sport. And so, you know, people would say, you suck or you garbage. And, you know, those are things I heard growing up from family members, even teachers, right? And so I wanted to fight every time I played basketball. So it didn't work for me. So I was like, I'm going to try for football again. And, you know, I go to football trials and the coach is like, knock them dead. And I'm like, someone's trying to hurt me, you know, and to trigger all that trauma I had growing up in the neighborhood. And so football definitely didn't work for me. So I was like, sports is not my thing. My mom, my mom comes home nine months later from recovery and boy, she changed. I mean, total change. Um, and that was the first time I started to believe that there was some kind of hope and, you know, uh, didn't do great. So I went to this school that was called Manly High School on the West Side. And at that time, it was like the second most violent high school. And they were graduating at like less than 50% of the senior class every year and sending 10% to college every year of their seniors. And um, I walk in a lunchroom one day at this school and I see this boat. I'm like, oh, what is this? I've never seen this boat before. And this little white lady walked up to me and said, you know, hey, would you like to join the crew team? I'm like, crew, you know, you're, you're taught in Chicago. If someone asks you to join their crew, just turn around and run the other way as fast as you can. I'm like, what, like, what, the, what the hell is this? Like, you know, now this little white lady starting a crew in my school, like Chicago, I gotta get out of here. You know, what, what's happening? And she said, you know, let me show you. So behind the, the boat was this TV monitor and they were showing the Olympic games. And it looked like a, a great opportunity, but because, you know, the, the people in the TV screen didn't reflect the world I was used to and, and the people I was used to seeing, I said no to the opportunity. So I kind of walked away. And, um, and so no one signed up, but the next day I showed up and, and there was this, um, there was this sign and everyone was lined up and I was like, wow. And it said, sign up, you get free pizza. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm a sucker for pizza. And so I signed up for free pizza. And uh, after class, I, 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 after class, I go up to the gymnasium and um, they had this list and it said, have you ever flown before? Do you like to wear Jordans? do you like what size do you wear i'm like oh god like we're gonna get clothes we're gonna fly everywhere and so I'm, I'm getting excited and um and there was three coaches it was that female coach and 
I felt comfortable with her right away because I was raised by women. Most of my teachers were women. So I felt very comfortable around her. And um, and I felt like the, the men I did have in my life didn't quite understand me and the sensitivity that I had. Uh, and then they had another coach, Victor, who was this black coach. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, also if I'm in this space, if folks don't look like me, we have someone who understands. And then there's this guy, Ken, who was a Jewish guy. And he just spoke with so much passion about this sport. And what I got out of this speech was, okay, first, all right, there, there, there will be no cheerleaders. I'm like, okay, there are no busload of fans. There'll be no pep rallies for us. Uh, there'll be, there's no billion dollar contracts after college. Why would I join this sport? Um, but the thing I did thought that was awesome was that what he spoke about is that you will find a group of people who have who will join the sport for no hidden agenda, but they will break their backs and rip apart their hands for the person who sits in front of them and the person who sits behind them. And that's why they're there. And I said to myself, those are the kind of friends I need in my life. And I remember saying, I'm, where do I sign up? I get on this machine. Months later, I learn how to swim. We go to the water. It didn't work well at first. But then we got used to the water. And I think the thing that changed my life about the water was the fact that, you know, when you're pushed out there into open water, the same survival mode that tells you if you hear a gunshot run told us in order to get back to the dock safely, we have to pull for each other. And in order to pull for each other, you have to kind of shut up and listen, right? And there's the coxswain of the coat saying, sit tall, breathe, you belong here. And, and, and once we got it, we, be, we began to feel the magic in the boat. Um, and it reduced the trauma that I felt like triggered the trauma in other sports. The fact that it was non-combative, non-conflict, um, no police sirens, <laughs> no bullying, you know, and, and we were just downloading the serenity that was there in the downtown Lincoln Park Lagoon. And, you know, the teachers will call you a, a walking storm at times at our school. But I remember saying, like, wow, this is the only sport that calms the storm in me. And, um, and I think that's when me and my crew fell in love with um, the sport. It, before it became a sport of competitiveness, the coaches used the sport as a sport of meditation to become one with ourselves, one with each other. And man, daily, my body changed, my mentality changed. And I would say the biggest lesson I learned in the sport is that I can't do the work of eight people, but I need eight people to do the work and we'll get there much faster. Now, how can we get everyone in our boat, but not only in our boat, in our neighborhood moving in the same direction um, and pulling for each other? And that was kind of, and there's so many other lessons, but that was like the main lesson that I learned from the sport and, uh, and I will open up to Q&A before I say that, you know, so many more, you know, so much to talk about with Rowan and, and, and what we accomplished, but, you know, I was a D student before I started rowing. And what I learned from the rowing machine uh, that Nick talked about was that, you know, I learned that the more I sit on this machine, the better, I the better my scores would be, the better I would become. I get better by spending hours of, of beating on my craft. And I think that was different from basketball. Shaquille O'Neal 
practiced free throws for 20 years and never got better, right? But I felt like in the rowing machine, you just constantly get better. And, 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 and so while my friends were hanging out, I was working. While, you know, they was at the mall, I was working. And, and so that same lesson I took to the classroom, that I may not be the smartest or the best test taker, but if I can put in the hours, right, when everyone's hanging out, I'm studying before school, doing school, after school, that I can get better. And I became a top 10 student. And, um, and so there were so many lessons that we learned inside the boat that I was able to use outside of the boat that completely changed my life as a teenager. And I became the captain of that team. It was the first all black high school rowing team um, there in, in the Midwest. And it was, it was special. And so my teammates who were from different neighborhoods and different gangs, we became a brotherhood. And I think what helped us connect to connect was the isolation, like being able to go to regattas where no one looked like us. And we're like, okay, I know I don't like you, but I'm going to this porta potty and I'm going to need you to come with me, you know? And so that's when the conversation started. Right. And, um, and, and, and long story short, like those guys became my best friends. We had this documentary, uh, they all are entrepreneurs and run business in their communities and, uh, and hire folks from their community. And we credit everything to the sport of rowing. 20 years later, we got back in the water a couple of years ago um, because a lot of friends and families wasn't able to support us at that time. Uh, and in the four, and then we also invited Chicago police to row with us in eight and we trained them. And we can talk more about that later. And, 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 and the dynamic that had on our block and our community and our neighborhood. Um, so, you know, and I wrote a book and the film came out and, uh, and now it's being picked up as a scripted TV series. So um, that's kind of like the short part of, um, of, of, of where, um, where the sport took us. But these other guys that were on my team, they were, they were awesome, man. They had similar backgrounds, right? Grew up in single, single parent homes. They were in different gangs, uh, but we were able to, stop different gang wars at school once we became a brotherhood. But once we started competing and we were the only ones who looked like us out there at those races, we started making it in the Chicago Tribune and all these papers. And that's when the school started to respect uh, our work a little bit more. And, um, and the fact that we were accomplishing so much. And the last thing I would say to that question is, is that, you know, uh, I was speaking to Harlem a couple of years back to these young boys and I asked every last one of them, what's your dream? And then one kid said to eat at Chipotle and everyone started laughing. And I said to myself, huh, like, you know, I know if Chipotle was around when I was young, there was no way I was gonna be able to afford it. So after that session, I gave $20 to the school counselor. And I said, we have to make sure he eats at Chipotle. Why? Because if we can eliminate this small dream, there's room for bigger dreams. There's room for more dreams. And my only dream was to go downtown. Chicago, 15 years old, never been downtown Chicago. I started rowing. I go downtown. I told my coach, wow, I got to go out of town. And so we go to a day trip to University of Wisconsin. I'm like, we need an overnight trip. So we spent a week in Philly, right? And, and, and so if you can eliminate the small dreams, there's always room for more dreams. How many years did you row and what position did you row? So I started off as two seat in the eight port side and uh, worked my way up to stroke seat by my junior year. So it was three wow. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I started off at two, made up to four. Never got to four. <laughs> and so stroke is the front of the boat. That's the person who sets the pace um, uh, in, in the boat. So, you, you know, you had to really work on a lot to get there. 
And uh, I was hungry, you know, I was determined, but um, yeah, so three years. And, uh, and from there, I, you know, uh, I didn't run college, but I did help coach the team. What about, what about on the water? I mean, what, what is sort of the Zen of, uh, of the crowing in the sense that, uh, you know, do you, do you, do you reach the wall, like in running, like in the marathon, you, you know, after about 20 mile, 20 some miles, you reach the wall and, I mean, what's it like on the boat? And give me a sense of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, I'll give you a sense of, well, come from where I'm from, from first time, it's, it's, it's fucking terrifying. You know what I mean? It's like you're out there in the middle of the water and you're trying to find chemistry. Everyone's moving to the beat and the sound of their own drum, right? And the coach is really trying to get everyone to move in the same direction and follow you. So the, the thing about row, rowing, I think it takes all these leaders and make them into and turn them into followers, right? And, and so that takes a while to be able to find a balance, to be able to move the boat, right? To, to understand the person in front of you and the person behind you, you stro- your stroke, right? And, and, and that takes a while to develop, uh, feathering the blade, which means the blade goes in, it comes out, and it slaps across the water like that, that, that takes a while to develop. But once you get going, right, once you begin to build chemistry and trust the person that you're rowing with and you get in shape, um, it, it's, it's, it's hard. It's brutal. The sport is tough. You know what I mean? And there are no timeouts, right? There's no halftime. Um, you're just out there rowing, right? And, and remember, like people, with, people, I hear, hear people say, this is the one sport sport that started off as a form of like punishment right like you know you, 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 <laughs> it, 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 you feel the punishment for sure in, in that race right but you can race 1000 meters 2000 meters 5000 meters 6k and um you know and again you're pulling it hurts but your body is changing and you feel in the speed in the boat and then once you get used to it you, you it's just all about connection you're, you're just connecting and, um, and, and, and it's awesome. There's no, uh, it, it's, 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 it's the same, right. Uh, as, as, as sitting on, on the best way I can explain is you sitting, if you're not going to ever get in the boat is that when you go on that erg, you, you will feel the pain from the rowing machine, but you also will feel the Zen. You will feel that, um, um, that, 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 that those moments and times where you feel like you're meditating, you feel like you're flying, and that's because you're relying on your teammates to fly with you, right? And, um, and so that is uh, it's kind of what I, I felt in the boat. But there was moments of pain. There was moments of weakness. There was moments of, of joy. And there was moments of, uh, of therapy for me. You've, there's so many different things that you feel in the boat. When you talk about expanding these into high schools, I don't know anything about running, but I think the shells cost a lot of money. You need a boat for the coach so he can yell at you. Uh, you need a boathouse, you need a rowing machine. Uh, and w- what's it cost for a high school for a year to mount a team? <laughs> Costs a lot, a lot of money. Uh, and I think what it is, it, you don't really see teams starting from scratch unless they got a big donor, right? A boat is the same price as a car, like it's like 50 grand, right? You can buy a use eight for like 15 to 20 grand, right? Um, um, but a real good moving boat is like 50 grand. Uh, and then you have oars, right? That you're paying $700 an oar. Uh, insurance, right? To be on the water. A boathouse in itself. New York, they built a new boathouse and it's like $30 million, you know? 
Uh, you know, but you can get one for a million, 1.4, depending on the size. Uh, and, and then your race, remember, like, there's not a ton of teams in each city unless you're in, unless you're in the Northeast. But you have teams like in Iowa, right, where it's only a couple teams. Every race is outside of your city. You have to pay to travel, to really compete, right? Uh, it's, it, and that's the biggest barrier, it's cost. The other barrier is transportation, how to get kids to the water, because water is not close to these communities uh, of, of kids who look like me. And then you have swimming, or got the cost to, to learn how to swim and get a, a swim coach, right? And overcome the fear of that. Uh, and then they also, we pay for academic support. Like you want to row, you want to row in college, these schools are not able to give you the support that you need at times. And so there's a, there's a lot of barriers uh, and it costs a lot. And I think the thing that we were able to, what we're, we're kind of working on solving and we are doing with our foundation is that there were a lot of programs like my program out there, like Manly, in Row New York, Row Boston, uh, Baltimore Rowing. And these programs of kids of color, they were showing up every day, they were committed, but they're just not as fast as the private schools and the public schools. I mean, I'm sorry, the um, prep schools and not wasn't winning. And so people were like, oh, you know, these are just slow teams. And I don't think that's just it because these kids can outrun everyone. They strong, they fast. They have the oldest boats that anyone can ever have in their city, right? And the riggers are breaking on you every time you go out to practice. They have the most novice coaches that you can afford. That's like a thousand dollars stipend and, and volunteers. And you have less days to practice. Like people are six days a week practice. And so, you know, you are given less, but expect to perform in the same manner as everyone else. And so with our fund, what we do is we go and say, okay, let's bring in a speed coach. Let's give them new boats. Um, and also let's up the days of practice. And so they can compete with other kids in their city. And, and um, but not only that, I think that's one piece. The other piece is that both houses are now reaching out and saying, we, we want to diversify our program, but we don't know how to connect with the community. Right? How do we do that? How do we go recruit? Like, you know, will they trust us? What well, all these questions? And so we go and 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 we build the relationships for those cities and 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 um and help build the partnerships so kids can go into the boathouse and feel welcome in the boathouse and and everyone have an opportunity to uh to to roll in the sport. If I were one of these angel investors, I say, give me a number. What it would cost me to start a program? <laughs> well, I would say again, if you if it's a boathouse already there. You can do it for a hundred grand a year, right? Now with everyone's, it's ridiculous. There's bull houses in the city. The problem is, is that there's, there, there were bull houses that say, we don't want city kids in our bull house. Oh, we have to deal with someone stealing this or taking this. Oh, we got to deal with this insurance issue. But it's starting to change now, but there's still bull houses that are very much like that. And so people have to build a new bull house that they can't afford. And so now I'm working with U.S. Rowing and say, hey, we got to talk to these boathouses that's under your governor, governing bodies for more access and more opportunity, right? And, we, and it's starting to happen. Uh, and people start to understand that we want to recruit more talent from, from everywhere, not just, you know, among those who can afford it, all right? Especially looking at, looking at the Olympics. And so it's different prices depending on what city you are in. Um, but uh, now kind of we're, we're trying to solve that issue and then figure out how much money we have to raise to start a program. You mentioned, uh, Arshay, uh, if I understood correctly, that you, 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 you didn't know how to swim until you, you got into this or a teenager. And 
and you also mentioned you hadn't you hadn't been downtown. Um, it, it it calls to mind a film that uh, uh, called Cool World that was made in 1963 when we graduated college. And I don't know if any of my classmates here remember that. It looks like John remembers that. Yeah. And I've never forgotten an extraordinarily powerful scene in that movie in which there's a young girl in Harlem confiding to her boyfriend that more than anything, she wants to see the ocean. And when she says ocean, she means the Pacific Ocean in California because she's heard about it. And her boyfriend takes her on the subway to Coney Island and she sees the Atlantic Ocean. And she didn't know it was there. And she had never been there. And I guess the question that comes to mind is, um, do you see any room for programs that would introduce uh, inner city kids, uh, kids from communities like you grew up in, in the West Side, uh, to to be introduced to swimming, uh, to the lake. I mean, as, as uh, you know, Chicago has some amazing beaches uh, and a hell of a lake uh, there. And uh, I was lucky, though I grew up on the south side. I, I grew up um, in Hyde Park and South Shore, where you could you could get to the beach very very easily. Um, and uh, uh, I'm actually reminded of. Uh, a story in Time Magazine in the 1960s about one of my uh, stupider high school friends who was arrested for throwing uh, rocks at black people who were trying to integrate the 77th Street Beach. Um, and, you know, a, lo a lot, <laughs> a lot was, was, a lot was very different there. But my sense from what you're saying is that access to water and access to learning how to swim, and I assume some of it is probably lack of you know, swimming pools like they probably had at Francis Parker High School. And I'm guessing I, I never went there, but I know kids who did. That's probably one of the rowing teams that you were dealing with because that was very, you know, in Lincoln Park. My question is, are, are, are you aware of any programs related to introducing uh, inner, inner city youth to, to, to the water and to swimming? Yeah, especially in Philly, right? There's a lot of aquatic centers now that like are starting to go out to these schools. The same way that we go into schools for rowing, we actually partner with some of them and we call it Swim to Row. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, they, the first step is learning how to swim. And, uh, and it's a big deal, like a lot of kids didn't know, like they don't know the water, never been to the water, never been, you know, still never been downtown. It's only five, you know, in the West that's only four, five, four or five miles, right? And, 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 and it's just crazy. And so I think that what I tell people is even when we go in these schools, even if they don't want to row, let's just do a field trip to the water, right? And, and for me, the water just didn't change my life in the sense that I learned how to, to row. But when I learned how to swim, it became a, like I was able to enjoy vacation and I was able to teach my brothers how to swim, right? And so as we get older, they wasn't afraid to go to the beach, you know, and, and, and enjoy themselves, right? It, it's so much peace there you know and I think that words have changed like I remember stressing out because of the word swim test right like uh, like I can't I can't do it right and so you know we we go in there we say hey we want to teach you water confidence and it's just starting off kind of hanging out standing in the water having conversation and slowly learn being comfortable with it right and then working your way into the deep right and so that comes with like good coaching um and helping them to understand is it's it's uh, it's, it's beyond 
growing, right? Or what, what you can do when you build a relationship with, with the water, you know? And, and, and that's one of the, uh, I, I think that's the biggest fear. Like people talk about costs and transportation, but the fear of water is, 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 is a big hurdle for us. When we, you know, I had a kid tell me right before COVID started when I was recruiting the school, he said, hey, have you seen Titanic? And I was like, you know, <laughs> I gave this amazing speech and everyone, all these kids were so inspired. And they was at the edge of their seat. And the kid was like, have you seen Titanic? He just took me right back to that. I was like, oh gosh, dude. you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it starts with a field trip. And then, you know, I always say like, when Rick gets to the water, but there's kids from the community that look like the less, let them let's show them that what they're doing with the water and how they're able to swim and row and they see it and then they can start to kind of believe it um uh, but ken that was, that was that was a great question and and it's something we have had many meetings about and still working on but again like you said it's it's not a lot of access not a lot of pools right you have to travel to to get to a pool in, in some of these communities thank you thank you arche uh i don't know whether this will make you feel better or not but uh you know, I went to a prep school and that's where I rode Andover and we would compete against Exeter and, and Deerfield and Mount Hermon, et cetera. We never talked to the other team ever, ever, ever. We never said a word to them. So I don't know whether it was just blacks versus whites or not, but these were all white teams except for me. And I can assure you, we never talked to anybody else. So. <laughs> also, y'all shared the same boathouse? Well, yeah, we would share the oh, yeah. They would come to our oh, boathouse wow. and let me tell you, Total silence. So. Wow. Yeah. I think it was, I think part, and I wrote in my book, I don't think it was, it was a, you know, I think number one, it was a competitive thing, right? Um, I think at the same time, it always talk about giving people an opportunity to unlearn. I do think that it, that was a big issue, but also in the same time, you know, I think what they see every day in the news, right? And this conversation came up in the future, uh, was like, okay, this is what we know about the West Side. And for us, it's like, this is what we know about you guys, right? Like, there were those thoughts, right? Um, but I, I'm not saying what exactly was it um, that kept us from, from speaking, like sitting in the same locker room at the same time. But I wrote at the end of the book, uh, eventually we had a service day where we had to build a new boathouse on the South Side and they had us all come volunteer. And um, and we were able to, we just started laughing about something and we were able to have conversations and how we became, we built the bond and the friendship. And one of those guys is like one of my close friends today. And we were able to have conversations that were like courageous and uncomfortable, right? And, um, uh, but it was, uh, it, it ended well for all of us, you know, it was just, it was definitely was awkward at first. And because what we kind of just had in our heads, um, we, we wasn't sure what it was. We just knew that, you know, we, you know, we, we wish we had more opportunities to have conversations with, the, with, each, with each other. What was the experience with uh, integrating the police folks into, into your boat? How did that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're 75% through the documentary. And the focus was so much on the gangs in Chicago, which I understand. And I said, well, that's not like one of the biggest disconnects it's also the black community and the police officer. Like, you know, one thing I know is that this sport can unite people. Like you can't move forward alone, right? And 
regardless of, of what we do and what we're fighting for and what we should, tomorrow morning, they still work in our neighborhood eight hours a day, right? And I think it's important to learn names. And so um, what I did was I said to the guys, I think there should be a race uh, that involves the police officers on our, that, that work on our block. And it was like, hell yeah, we should race against them. And I was like, no, 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 with them. And they was like, huh? You know, and and what I told them is, and what I told them was, I told them a few things. So first thing I said, the moms were, you know, in a documentary. And I said, the two things that scared the moms is, the mom's fear is that their black son interaction in a different neighborhood in Chicago and they saw interaction with the police. We have spent most of our lives kind of trying to reduce one of those fears, but there's another fear, right? And I think that I wanna take them to the same water where we didn't get along at first, right? Where we had a lot of fear and a lot of trauma and somehow it worked out. And I told them as a teacher, you will always forget some of your students, but as a student, you'll never forget your teacher. And we have an opportunity to be the teacher. And in order to find alignment, you know, we have to readjust the lens. It's hard to hate up close. And, um, and so, you know, they were like, okay, we can try it out. So we found these cops from the neighborhood and it took a while. Um, and this is right, like a year before George Floyd was murdered and they came to the boathouse. You saw, if you saw the documentary, it was very awkward at first. It was just awkward, just, you know. And then we put them on the row machine and then they, we started competing, right? And everyone was kind of like, you know, screaming or voting, you know, like rooting for each other. And I took them to the tanks. The tanks is like this pool where you kind of put the oars in and uh, it's like sitting in the pool, like as if you mimic, as if you were on the boat. And all the lessons I learned from rowing, I began to share with the cops and the guys and, and talked about my experience growing up. And, what I told them was, again, is that, you know, you can't move forward alone. And we will learn that through the sport of rowing. And, and they started rowing. And then, like, it was so beautiful to see them just follow each other, right? And from there, it was just a, a nice moment. And the, the documentary, the, the producer's like, this is a one-day thing. And I said, no, we're going to race with them. We're going to really teach them how to row. And we're going to race with them at the Chicago Sprint in the summer. And first day on the water, we go out on the water and I had no idea that Big Lou, one of the cops, six, four cop, it didn't know how to swim. And he's shaking in the boat, it's vibrating. You can feel the boat vibrating. And Alvin, who did four years in prison, who was sitting behind them in the boat, you can hear him say, I got you, like I've been here. You know, grab your oar, never let go of your oar, right? And just do this and do that. You can feel, you know, and you see, you know, and you can see the dynamic in the boat change. And after that, every practice, Big Lou, the cop, is gravitating towards Alvin, and Alvin's working with it, right? And um, and there was another scene that you saw when the, the guys on the team was working with their kids, teaching their kids how to row, and the cops brought their kids for that, and for the cops to see these white cops to see black men on the west side of Chicago working with their kids, done something to them, right? And, and so at the end of the story, we raced together. We had uncomfortable conversations. You know, I, 
uh, you know, and we did a panel together and, and when they asked the cops, what did they learn? We was on today's show too. And one of the cops said, you know, this really, our relationship continues. And, you know, and one of the things I said, I would say one of the things I said was, there's no way that you can be around my teammates and not be moved by them. And I had to create that opportunity to get the eight, to get the eight moving, right? We need everybody. And in our community, there's preachers, there's educators, there's everyone kind of working together except for one group. And why is that? How do we get the whole eight moving? Because we we need to be at a, we should be at a, 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 a place in this boat or in our community that we're not at. And, and that's you having these conversations. Like, and, and so one of the cops said, well, we talked about kind of what everyone had learned and Malcolm who's on our team was like, they go home to families, man, I met their kids. And, and one of the cops said, uh, you know, and he did when George Floyd was murdered, he right away said, hey, here's, here's you know, he's like, I'm meeting with black faith, the black faith community, the black activists and figure out what, how can we have this conversation? I'm sorry for what happened in the community. And then Big Lou uh, talked about his relationship with Alvin but I think one of the things that kind of struck me was Officer Matt, who said, I had a lot of bricks thrown at me in protest after George Floyd was murdered. And for me, I realized that I can take my uniform off, but they can't take their black skin off, right? And then we had a conversation around that. And, but these were the conversations that we was having with each other. And it was so positive. And, and one of the cops talked about how the trauma that they go through in the west side of Chicago and the trauma that we go through and how it, it's a result of some of the structural limitations that started many years ago in Chicago. Like these were the conversations that we had never had if I was on one side of the street and they was on the other side of the street facing off with each other. Like there's something about the sport that brings people together um, where you feel the same pain, the same weakness. You get the same strength together. And, um, and I was just so happy that we was able to use the sport to do that. Arshe Cooper, author, rower, filmmaker, a most beautiful thing. He says it's all about swing. Eight people in a small boat moving through the water in synchrony. Swinging as one, driving through the complex motions of their stroke. Someone said it's like hitting a golf ball just right and doing it 30 times a minute. That's it for this episode of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more episodes on our podcast, and you can read all about us in the book, The Last Negroes at Harvard.